Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Good to see a good group here tonight. And we always have a good group online studying Revelation with us. And so wherever you are and however you may be joining us online, we welcome you also. Looking forward, we are now into our 26th week of Revelation. That's half a year, isn't it? So we've been in Revelation a long time, uh, probably longer than it took John to write it. But uh, anyway, we're still going through it, and we still have a few more, about 34 verses left. But we're glad that you're here to study God's Word with us. It's been a good study, uh, seeing what all God has for us and the great book that He's given to us to kind of give us clues about the end, but also uh, hope for the future. So it's, it's good to see everybody turn in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21 tonight is verses 15 to 27. Of course, I always read from the ESV in our study, so get your device or your Bible and get ready to join us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word together. Your word is powerful. It is truth. It is life. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher tonight as we study again Revelation, what you've given to us through, through the Apostle John. God, I pray you'll encourage our spirits tonight. I pray for those that, that just need a word from you tonight, that they'll receive that. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us, who's made all of this possible for us as believers. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, letter A on your outline tonight, the final 48. That's where we are, the final 48 verses of the Bible. John chapter, or rather Revelation chapter 20 ended with earth and heaven passing away. Judgment had come upon those who did not receive Jesus as Savior, whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. They were cast in the lake of fire, and chapter 20 ends that way, and God could have ended the Bible right there, but He didn't. He gave us 48 more verses, chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, all to tell us about what heaven's like. And so He, he could have stopped and, and not told us anything about what heaven's like, but for 48 more verses, He goes on, and now we're to the final 34 of those to tell us about heaven. You remember I mentioned last Wednesday night that you can tell a lot about a person by walking through their house. You can tell how they live. You can tell what they value. You can tell what they like. You can tell what's important to them. You can tell who's important to them. You see pictures on the wall or on the refrigerator. You can tell a lot about a person by walking through their home. And so God has allowed us in these final 48 verses to walk through his house. And we learn a lot about him. We learn what he values. We learn what's important. We learn who's important. Uh, we learn what he's like. And so in these final 48 verses, we're walking through his house to find out a little more about what he's like. So John, as he started chapter 21, saw the new heaven and the new earth. And then he said, after I saw the new heaven and the new earth, then I saw the heavenly city. Now, I've always thought that heaven is the, is the heavenly city. But evidently, according to John, there's new heavens, new earth, and also a heavenly city. The new Jerusalem. He said it was coming down out of God from heaven, prepared as beautifully as a bride adorned for her husband. So the first thing he noticed about heaven was its beauty. Then he heard a voice, a voice behind him that said, the tabernacle of God is now with men and God is dwelling with his people. 
So let's go now to letter B on your outline. What we looked at last Wednesday night, the New Jerusalem, we looked at verses 9 through 14. If you remember last Wednesday night, John said, then an angel took him to a very high mountain where he could view the heavenly city. Now, we're going to talk in just a moment about how big this city is. We talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about how big it is, a little more detail tonight because John measures it. And so, in order to a city this large, the mountain's going to have to be really large to get a view of it. So he took him to a large mountain, a high mountain, the angel did, and showed John a vision of the new heavenly city. And John described it last Wednesday night by saying it was radiant. There was a radiant glow about it like a diamond. And there were 12 tower gates with angelic guards. You remember last Wednesday night we talked about the the Greek word that's used for tower gate in here is the word pylon, P-Y-L-O-N. And for those of you who are football fans, you know what a pylon is, the, the orange The orange, as you enter the end zone, the orange markers there that that extend up, that's the exact same picture. The tower gates that extended up as you entered into the city. Angelic guards on either side. And the names there in the city were the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Now we talked about last week, wait a minute, Judas was one of those 12. Is Judas his name in heaven? We talked a little bit about that, but it also tells us Those are the pictures on the walls. That's who's important to God. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. And then we talked about last week the foundation of the city, which meant permanence. Israel never has had permanence. They've always lived through the wilderness in in tents. And to drive in a tent stake and pull it up the next morning, drive it again the next night and pull it up the next morning. Nothing was of permanence. They They were nomads. They traveled And so now he's telling them, you have a place with a foundation, place of permanence. And that would be be wonderful to a Jew who then had to leave their land, uh, as, as you know, through the exile. So that's where we started looking at the New Jerusalem last Wednesday night. Let's pick it back up tonight, letter C on your outline, measuring the city. Let's look at verses 15 to 17, chapter 21. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. So John's telling us that the angel is standing there, this massive city they're looking at, and the angel is the one who measures the city because the city's too large for a human to measure it, and so the angel measured it. And so the angel took out a measuring rod, and the measuring rod itself was made of pure gold. I believe that the the gold that was reflected there, the dignity of the task, the high value of the city, but just the utensil itself was gold. If you remember back in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple... The only utensils that were gold were the ones in the Holy of Holies. So now the angel starts measuring the city, takes out a gold measuring rod, and the Bible tells us in verse 16 that the city lies four square. 
its length, the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. Now, that one verse tells us a lot about heaven. Let's look at it. He tells us, as the angel is measuring the walls and the, and the gates and the city itself, tells us that the city lies four square. Now, those of you who like gospel music, you've heard many gospel songs of the years in that city that's built four square. Well, what does that mean? You mean it's a box? No. It's, if, you look, if you look at the dimensions of the walls and how high the city goes in just a moment, we're going to see that. It's not a box. It is more like a cube. Some theologians say it is shaped like a pyramid. Now, back in biblical days, Babylon was laid out in a square. Nineveh was laid out in a square. Every county seat in Texas is laid out in a square. You have the courthouse in the middle, you have the town square, and you have cities that are marked off perpendicular, and uh, the streets are rather, it's a, it's a square. And so, the city might be a square, but most likely it was cube-shaped. In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was cube-shaped. So most likely, so is heaven. And he tells us that the length of heaven was the same as its width. And the height was the same as the width. And he tells us all the, the, the width and the length and the height were all equal. And that it was 12,000 stadia in each direction. How far is 12,000 stadia? Well, it's about 1,400 miles. So imagine, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, imagine a city this large. 1,400 miles in every direction. 1,400 miles this direction from where I stand is Los Angeles. 1,400 miles this direction is Philadelphia. 1,400 miles this direction is in the middle of the tundra in Winnipeg, about 300 miles north of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And 1,400 miles this direction, you enter the country of Belize. That's massive. That is a huge city. And 1,400 miles in this direction. Can you imagine a city that extends 1,400 miles high? We talked a couple of weeks ago that the International Space Station, there are two of them. China has one. We have one. It, it's above the earth, 286 miles above the earth, the space station. 286. 1,400. Extending 1,200 miles past the space station. That is a massive city. It's about 2 million square miles. That's, a, that's larger than the country of India. 
That's about the size of the moon. The heavenly city. It's massive. As a boy growing up, I used to wonder about heaven and kind of had it pictured. I had it pictured, a small little place, and everybody's crowded in, and hi. No, no, heaven is huge. Henry Morris of the Institute of Creation Research over here in Dallas kind of put a pencil and started trying to figure. Now, this, this is just approximations. Approximation uh, from the Institution of Creation Research, there, will be, there are about 100 billion people who've ever lived as if, it were to, if the world were to end now. About 100 billion people. He estimates about 20% of those are born-again believers. Now, one-third are Christian in name, but they're not born again. He estimates about 20% are born-again Christians. Billy Graham estimated about 25% born-again Christians. We don't know, but just let's say, let's say 1 billion people and 20% are believers. So that's who goes to heaven and a city 2 million square miles that each of you get about 75 acres to yourself. How about a ponderosa of 75 acres for you? Well, we don't know that. That's just conjecture. But the point is how massive the city is whenever the angel measured it. Now look at verse 17. He also measured its wall, the wall around the city, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So there's a wall around the city, this massive city, And the wall itself is 144 cubits thick. How thick is 144 cubits? 216 feet. That's how thick the wall is. How far is 216 feet? It's 72 yards. Okay, now football fields 100 yards. Imagine 72 yards, and that's how thick the wall is. It's incredible. So the dimensions that were told in Revelation may not mean a whole lot to you when you just read them, but when you start stopping and thinking about it, this is a massive city. Now, I know a lot of people say, and a lot of commentators say, well, this is symbolic. It's not meant to be literal. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe it's just symbolic of saying, well, it's infinite. We can't really tell how big it is. But did you notice the last phrase of verse 17? It says, John says, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Why did he say that? To say that what he's measuring was pretty well what we know. So it sounds more literal than symbolic. So it sounds like he's giving us literal dimensions. Now let's look at some more features of the city. Letter D on your outline, verses 18 to 27. A few more features about the city starting in verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Notice he said the wall was built of jasper, and it appeared to glisten. That's the wall. It's not the city. It's the wall around the city. Glistens. And the word that's used there for built is endomesis. It means to build on the, on the out, 
outside. We get the word medical term endometriosis from it. Endomesis, meaning building on the outside or growing on the outside. So what it appears, John is telling us, is that the material on the wall was jasper, not the entire wall. The outer portion was overlaid with jasper to display brilliance. So God wanted the city to be in such a way that when you looked at it, how massive it was and the walls around it glistened and reflected brilliance. Because you see, folks, the city reflects the radiance of God. Notice what else he said. The wall was built of jasper. While the city itself was pure gold. The whole city, the new Jerusalem, seemed to shine like a mass of pure gold. Whenever we go to Israel with groups from our church, we stay five nights in Jerusalem. We usually get back from the, on the tour bus each night just about sunset. And the, last, the hotel we've stayed in the last few times has been in the old city. And the old city is made of limestone. And so whenever you pull into the hotel, the sun as it's setting shines on those limestone rocks, bricks in the, in the old city of Jerusalem. Beautiful. Just beautiful. It, it gives that golden appearance. And so heaven is not going to be the golden appearance. It's going to be gold. And so if you can imagine how beautiful, in fact, Israel, Jerusalem is called the golden city because when the sun sets there, everything sparkles. And heaven itself, described as the new Jerusalem, not just looking like gold, but is gold. Look at the next phrase, verse 18. Like clear glass. Clear glass is the best and the highest quality of glass because that means there are no impurities in it. So as John was looking at the new heavenly city, he saw absolutely no impurities. You and I have no idea what that looks like because all we've ever known is a cursed earth. A world that's fallen, a world that's cursed, a world with impurities because, because sin has cursed this place. So you and I never once in our life have ever looked upon anything that's totally pure. But we will then. A city with no impurities. John's day, remember, glass was not clear. It was opaque. They didn't have polished glass like we do. Mirrors in those days were not mirrors like our days where you can see every little line and wrinkle and everything. They were kind of opaque and shadowy. You could see a figure, but you couldn't see clearly. You know why Paul said to the Corinthians, but we see now through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face? Because they didn't have polished glass. So the new city looks like glistening with pure gold with no impurities, Reflecting God's glory with no hindrances. 
I can't imagine. Can't imagine. And that's just one verse of how he describes the heavenly city. Wall built of jasper, city of pure gold, like clear glass. But now let's go to verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then he starts listing the jewels. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth burial, ninth topaz, tenth chrysoprase, eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So, for the next two verses, he lists 12 precious gems. The most massive gems and the most beautiful gems you've ever seen. And what John tells us is that the jewels did not cover the foundation stones of the city. They were the foundation stones of the city. Imagine the foundation of a city that large... Nothing but 12 precious gems. And the 12 different stones are all many different colors. So, heaven dazzles brilliant colors just from the gems. And these many colors are reflected in the beauty of the city. Have you ever thought of heaven as being colorful? Oh, it's massively colorful. Bright colors that pop. Let me, let me read the, the stones again and let me tell you their colors. Jasper can be red, can be yellow, can be brown, can be green. Sapphires, typically brilliant blue. How about the color of my shirt? Kind of a bright blue. Agate is multicolored. They made the Greek warriors wore, wore uh, necklaces made of agate because it's multicolored and it just popped as they wore them. Emerald was a beautiful crystal green. Onyx was multicolored, but it has a beautiful black and white band that goes all the way through the stone. And so you can see it as you see it, you see bands of black and white inside of multicolors. Carnelian is a dark brownish red. They make jewelry out of carnelian. Still do in some places. Chrysolite. We don't know exactly what chrysolite was. If we, what did we think it is? It was a light green that was made from nickel. It was beautiful, like a turquoise. Burial is, can be green or blue or yellow or pink, hexagon-shaped crystals. Topaz. Could be golden yellow or blue, mostly blue. Chrysoprase is, is an apple green. They found a lot of deposits of this in Tanzania since the mid-1980s. Apple green that just pops. Jacinth was uh, bluish purple. That was the color of the, the, the uh, Jewish high priest. Great high priest would wear a jacinth-colored breastplate. And then amethyst, the word means intoxicating. It's violet, and it's so violet that you're mesmerized by it, intoxicated by it. All of the most beautiful gems God ever created, he made as the foundation stones that 
dazzle with brilliance in his city. Folks, what heaven's going to be like? Warren Wearsby, pastor of Moody Church for many years, said, quote, Our God is a God of beauty, and He will lavish beauty on that city He is preparing for His people. It's going to be a city of beauty. And these massive gems were there not to give the impression of wealth and luxury, but to reflect His glory and His holiness. It's interesting, we really can't identify for sure all 12 of these stones today. No doubt John's audience knew them, but what is something else is very interesting as well. In the Old Testament, the great high priest wore the breastplate, Exodus 28, verses 17 through 20 tells us about that. And on the breastplate, what were there? Twelve gems. Some people say that's where we get the zodiac from. I don't believe that. Some people say that. But there were 12 gems on the breastplate of the great high priest in the Old Testament. Are these the same 12 gems that's in heaven? Well, there are eight of the 12. If you compare the list in Revelation and the list in Exodus 28, eight of the gems, eight of the 12, are listed in both places. So most of the gems that reflected the breastplate of the great high priest that he wore are the, are the stones that make the foundation of the city that we will walk upon. So the great high priest, if you think about it, was the only one with access to God in the Old Testament. But now all of us have access to God in heaven. Verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the city of the street was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, John said these twelve gates, remember we saw last week there were twelve gates, there were three names of the twelve tribes of Israel on each side. Three names of the apostles on each, each side. Twelve gates. And so the gates were made out of pearls. Now, in the Jewish mindset, the Jews considered pearls the most precious stone there was. Why? Because they said a pearl derives all of its beauty entirely from nature, not from man. It comes from oysters. And so humans can't improve upon a pearl. And so Jews considered pearls the most precious stone of all because its beauty came from nature. And so God makes these all 12 gates of pearls. And the city of the street was pure gold. Now, hold on a second. Street? One street? For 1,400 miles this way and 1,400 miles in one street. Well, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, as you go read on into Revelation 22, it appears there, there appears to be, now we don't know for sure, but there appears to be one major street through the city, and then there are intersecting streets and avenues that cut and wind 
through the other 1,400 miles, but the main street seems to be what John is writing about. And he said, the main street was made out of pure gold. So the foundation of the city, 12 precious gems, but the main street you walk on is pure gold. Go back to the Old Testament. In the temple, according to 1 Kings 6.30, we are told that only the, high, only the priests could walk in Solomon's temple on floors made of pure gold. So only the priest. So you're getting the picture that what only priest could do in the Old Testament, we as the priesthood of believers in Christ can do in heaven. We will walk on streets of pure gold. Whereas only the priests could do that on the floors in Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 6. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. I didn't see a temple there. Now, in ancient days, that would have been unthinkable to have a city with no temples. Because every city you went to in the ancient world was, were very religious. I mean, they worshipped gods from every belief system under heaven. So every city had many temples, multiple temples. And a city that large with not even one John said, it's unusual. There wasn't a temple there. That would be like us saying, well, it, it's a church with no gas, I mean, a city with no gas stations. Can you imagine a city with no gas stations? Or no supermarkets? Or no convenience stores? We can't picture that. They couldn't picture a city with no temples. There's no special location for worship or sacrifice needed in heaven because God is the temple. You see, he's, he's not telling us the temple is removed. He's saying the temple is expanded. There will need, be no temple there because the whole city is a temple. Everything and every place will be holy, reflecting the presence of of God. No temples needed because the Lamb is there. He is the temple. Now, if you think about the temple, before Jesus, the temple was prophecy. After Jesus, Christians are the temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the millennial kingdom we looked at, the temple will be a memorial. And in heaven, the temple's everything. And everywhere. And then he said, verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now let's talk about this for a moment. There's no need to have a sun or moon to shine on it, no need for created a created light source because the illumination of God's holiness 
and presence is so dazzling and so bright, why do you need the sun? That would pale in comparison. Why do you need the moon? That would pale in comparison. Why do you need it? God is the illumination. In the Old Testament, you remember, God illumined the camp of the Israelites by a pillar of fire. You may remember in the Old Testament in the Holy of Holies, God's fire lit the presence between the cherubim. So God's fire in the Old Testament was so bright and dazzling, it outshone the sun. It was called the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. It was so bright, humans couldn't look at it. Remember in the Old Testament whenever Moses just saw the back, back end of God's glory? That's all he saw as, as God passed by and he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And then he came down to minister to the people and his face was so bright he had to put a veil over it because they couldn't look upon him. So bright. And, and do you remember in, in the, um, the Mount of Transfiguration, whenever Jesus and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured before them where he became his glory that he had before the foundation of the world, and then he went back down the mountain, and he shone? Remember that? And do you remember the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road saw a blinding light, looked up into heaven, and it was so bright, and that's where God, can, Jesus converted him and he became a believer and he became Paul. But do you remember the light was so bright that he was blinded for days and couldn't see? God finally restored his sight just by looking at the dazzling brilliance of God. And some people believe that Paul, even later on, his thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. That goes all the way back to being blinded. Because he wrote to the Galatians, you see how large a handwriting I'm using in writing this letter to you? We don't know that, but we do know he was blinded. Can you imagine being in the presence of that Old Testament glory and the Shekinah and the Mount of Transfiguration and the Damascus Road? How are our eyes going to handle it? How? Well, theologians have kicked that around for a while, and evidently God is going to upgrade our eyes for eternity and upgrade our bodies into perfect glorified bodies so we can so we can see that and not be blinded we can't now but we will then we'll see him in his beauty and glory and dazzling because we'll finally finally be able to look upon him Now, continue on verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Hold on, I've got a question here. Wait a minute, let me read that again. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory. Who are the kings of the earth? I thought they died in the battle of Armageddon. Who are the kings of the earth? We don't know. <laughs> Theologians don't know. Bible scholars are scratching their heads. There are all kinds of theories out there. We, we don't really know. One theory is there will still be nations and kings on the new earth. 
Because we're just talking about the city. We're not talking about the rest of, rest of the new earth and new heavens and new earth. So some theorize that the new city is what we're going to know as heaven, but heaven's also going to contain the rest of the earth, and there will be nations like we know nations now. There will be kings like we know now, except there will be no impurities. There will be no evil kings. All the kings of the earth will come into the new city, and they will bring their glory and honor and praise to God. The new Jerusalem, some people believe, will be a city as well as countryside because it's new heaven and new earth in the new Jerusalem, and they're all separate. Robert Morgan, who you know, was here and um, preached for us last year, uh, wrote, has written many books, and has wrote, he wrote a book on heaven. He believes that we will have possibly a home in the city and a home in the country that we could travel perhaps between both, uh, perhaps travel the cosmos and see the intergalactic beauties because our bodies will have properties that will allow us to do that. You say, how do you know that? Well, we're going to be fashioned after His body, we know that. And after the resurrection, what did Jesus do in His glorified body for 40 days? Well, He traveled instantly. He walked through walls. His body was the same, but it was different. The two on the road to Emmaus walked all the way out with him, didn't know it was him. And then they said, why? It's G of course it's Jesus. So it's recognizable, but it's not recognizable. It's both. And so there are theories out there that we will have in our glorified bodies who will be able and have part of heaven and will be traveling where no we don't know this for sure this is conjecture putting together what we think we know travel instantly and who knows but there could be other nations and kings because the kings are bringing their glory into the new city verse 25 and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there why do you need to shut a gate why does heaven need gates if there are no invading armies why does heaven need gates if they're enemies? There are no enemies. But it says the gates will not be shut. Back in biblical days, cities were protected by walls and gates. And if they felt an, an army invading, if they got intelligence and another army was attacking, they'd shut the city gates. And John says there's no need for the gates to ever be shut there. Because there will never be night there. The glory of God will always illumine the new city for all time. Verse 26. They will bring, the kings, will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Well, I guess it has to be now, now nations that are on the new earth because all the other heavens and earth we're passed away at the end of chapter 20. So it says that the kings of the nations will bring their glory and their honor into the city. Back in biblical days, there was a, a, um, a tradition that the kings would bring great wealth and glory and honor into the city of the king who they considered to be the greatest king of their era. Remember in Solomon's day, 
He was considered to be the greatest. And the kings came from all over, bringing him gifts, bringing wealth, bringing glory. That was a custom. So in heaven, everyone will honor the king of kings. And all the nations and all the leaders of those nations will bring into the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the honor and the glory of the nations because he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in other words, the kings that are coming, they're not lost kings, they're not pagan kings, only those who are in the Lamb's book of life. And we're told in chapter 20, now in chapter 21, to end both chapters, we're told you don't go to heaven unless your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is a process by where we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Because if you never do that, you never see the heavenly city. You never see the new Jerusalem. Your, your life ends with chapter 20 into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, lake of fire and sulfur. But if you receive Christ and your name's in the Lamb's book of life, chapters 21 and 22 are yours and they're mine. So to summarize, all in all, our inheritance in heaven is going to be literal, physical, eternal, and fabulous. And we'll look at more of it, the river of life, chapter 22, starting next Wednesday night. If you have questions or comments, see me afterwards, send me emails. I'm always glad to respond to those. Let's pray together. We'll dismiss. God, I want to thank you tonight for what you've given us in your word, what you've made known to us. There's a lot we don't know, a lot that we still conjecture about. But Father, what we do know is, is dazzling and brilliant because, Lord, you're there. And your glory and your beauty and your radiance and your holiness will be on display and we'll have eyes to see it and we'll have bodies to experience it. And Father, that's something to look forward to. So thank you for not only loving us and saving us, giving us the best life on this earth, but thank you for what you've prepared for us in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.